Hello world. What's up? Welcome to the first ever episode of a brand new show by experienced technologists for experienced technologists. No wonder we call it Exchange, a monthly show where we discuss some practical and cool stuff in the front end domain in the hopes that you, the audience, will pick up useful things from others' experience to apply in your own project and craft. I'm your host Anurag, and today we are joined by none other than Salish Rakhman. Does he need an introduction? Probably not, but I'll introduce him anyway. Salish is a senior director of technology who currently leads the experience technology domain, comprising of React, Angular, Node, and full cycle developers for Publicis API in India. He has been involved in setting up FE solutions and architectures for large-scale e-commerce implementations. Salesh has been involved in audits of existing apps from an architecture and creative QA standpoint. He has also been involved in setting up the India XT domain as we know it today and seen a growth from a team of just 60 odd in 2009 to more than 1000 XTs today. Salesh joins us today to discuss web accessibility, a topic very close to his heart. He has personally overseen development of several fully accessible enterprise web solutions. We are glad to have him share his thoughts and viewpoints about the much ignored but critical topic. Salesh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anurag. Been a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you around. Um, so most of the XT people know you as their first contact. In my team, almost everyone has connected with you at least once in their in their time at Sapien. So it's really heartening to see a very familiar face start off, kick off this exciting new project that we call Exchange. Let me start with the obvious question. Why are you so serious about making websites accessible? Is there a personal side to it apart from your professional endeavors? Well, great, great question to start off, uh, Anurag. Um, and yeah, obviously, it's it's been a journey for me when I think about accessibility. And, uh, you know, there are three, three different blocks of stories that I generally talk about, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint that kind of, you know, forced me to work towards accessibility and become an accessibility evangelist uh, for all the work that people do around, you know, websites and web applications. Uh, starting from, you know, right from my schooling days and, you know, probably right from my kindergarten days. Uh, I remember I was uh, giving one of those vivas where we were supposed to identify colors and, you know, our our lecturer back then uh, showed me handkerchiefs of uh, three or four different colors and I messed up that assignment completely. Uh, and uh, Back in those days, I thought, you know, I was pretty bad at identifying colors and, you know, I let that be. Uh, and moving on to, you know, a little further in the schooling days, we had a colleague who had uh, suffered from polio and his movement was pretty restricted. Uh, so he used to wear braces and, you know, he used to use wheelchairs to basically maneuver around on the roads and commute to school and stuff. Uh, and it was sad to see the lack of infrastructure to 
support him you know uh, basic things like you know lack of elevators of you know or probably not having ramps where there were a couple of staircases to climb he basically had to get down from the wheelchair somebody used to pick it up and you know keep it back for him and then he used to sit on the wheelchair and then start moving again uh, so as a society you know i guess we aren't as empathetic with uh, you know people with any kind of disability for that matter so that again you know was always the back of their mind that you know whenever we start working we need to make sure that whatever we develop should be for whole and sundry you know they can't be exceptions to the rule uh moved to the college days uh ironically was uh you know part of a university which supported visually challenged uh, students as well uh and as part of uh, the exams what we were given the opportunity was to write exams for our seniors uh so we you know made friends with quite a few seniors who were visually challenged and you know we got to understand how do they really work you know how do they study uh you know their understanding of braille and you know how do they listen to audio to you know understand certain topics and then we used to write those exams for them uh, so that was another interesting experience that i had growing up uh but again soon enough you know once you join your corporate life you're bogged down by your day to day activities that this kind of went into the back burner you know keeping accessibility first uh right. till not so long ago you know i had sent out an uh, email so i'm part of a sports committee so we sent out an email organization wide saying you know we are holding this tournament and it was a fancy image that we created with lots of graphics and stuff like that and i instantly got a response of on that email from one of our colleagues uh who said that you know i am a blind user uh it looks like you have sent an image uh the subject line seemed interesting but i really don't know what are you trying to say here and that really hit me hard saying you know being from the front end world having experienced you know and having worked with so many people and just to join the dots you know the initial bit where i said i couldn't identify colors it was turned out that i was color blind right uh, so oh, i have also have had that experiences where uh you know small things where people say you know is my phone charged and the charger only shows the yellow turning to green and for me it all looks the same so i like okay how do i figure out if the you know phone is charged without unlocking the phone right so those small things kind of irritate me so it was a little appalling that you know i completely disregarded that uh and that's when i put my foot down and said that you know it is it is about time that you know i take this seriously and uh, you know since then you know i've been trying to do my bit on making sure that i spread the awareness on accessibility to all the web developers that are interact with at least get started with that so that's that's been the journey uh that's a very interesting uh, side of you selesh that uh, i think most of us were not aware about especially the color blindness part yeah. uh so how do you uh, is it has it gotten better better now Uh, so interestingly there is no cure to color blindness uh, you know it just stays uh, uh, i mean the way i work around is thanks to photoshop <laughs> take screenshots look at the hex code and start working around it so that wow. that's the only way out yeah uh, incidentally you know i've been a web uh, designer also in my previous experiences and that kind of was the way i worked that you know i looked at the hex code you know looked up the reference to figure out if it's a green shade or a you know orange shade and that's how i did my designing uh, so it's been interesting to say the least but yeah i figured my way out that's interesting and you mentioned about that incident where a fellow colleague who was blind mm-hmm. himself uh, could not figure out that mailer 
uh, that sports mm-hmm. mailer that we sent out. Yeah, I've seen in a couple of pre- previous organizations that I've worked with uh, the same kind of mistake repeating. Yeah, when we send out mailers, generally we do not think about the complete audience set, right. and we we end up creating those big images and writing all the text on those images without knowing whether the other person would actually be able to read that image, right? Right. And uh, fortunately at Sapien, I've seen things getting a lot better. Most of the official communication that comes around always has a lot of text. The images are mostly for decoration rather than conveying the actual message, which I think is the ideal direction to go in. That is so true. So, in fact, uh, you know, the recent uh, New Year emailers and stuff like that that was sent out. I like the fact that the template itself kind of encourages you to write text and not convert text to images. Uh, you know, it is it is a small step, but in the right direction. So, yeah, we are headed the right way. So, Salish, uh, we have talked about the problems that affect certain uh, people with disabilities. Is there a standard or guidance that a team can follow? to make their website or whatever software they're working on more accessible? Uh, yeah, there are guidelines, uh, you know, obviously from a you know W3C recommendation standpoint, uh, there are guidelines around, uh, you know, three distinctly different segments, right? Uh, there is WCAG, which talk about content accessibility guidelines. How, how do you uh, pronounce that? WCAG. WCAG. Right. Uh, right. What does it stand for? It stands for Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Okay. Uh, so it's it's very uh, specifically talking about you know the guidelines that you need to follow while you are developing a website to make it accessible. Right. Uh, there are two other guidelines as well. Uh, one is called as ATAG, which is A T A G. Specifically, you know, when you look at the full form, it stands for Authoring Tool Accessibility Guidelines. And the last is UAAG, which is a user agent accessibility guidelines, which you know focuses on the guidelines that are there for browsers to take care of accessibility. Now, if you if you extrapolate that and if you do a deep dive on how do you develop and make sure that the content that or other the website or application that you're building is accessible, you can categorize those all two into three different buckets, right? Starting from the design itself. How do you think? accessibility first from a design standpoint. Uh, The most common thing that people talk about here is about color blindness uh, or making sure that there are high color contrast, you know, that you have in your designs. Uh, There are also certain other elements like ensuring that whatever you depict is not depicted by color alone. Uh, And very standard errors that people falter or, uh, you know, people falter while creating say for example forms you right you hit a submit there is an error all they do is they color the border of the input field as red you know depicting that there is an error but a color blind person may or may not be able to comprehend the color change so Absolutely. there has to be an alternate means saying you know clearly calling out okay there was an error and and you know while trying to make it beautiful people lose out on those basic elements of you know ensuring that it's still usable right uh, so that's that's the design part of it. Uh, the second segment is how do you code right? And there is a bunch of compliance checklist which you know is broadly categorized into three different levels of com- uh, compliance and complexity. One is called a single A, double A, and triple A. Those are increasing levels of uh, compliance that a you know a particular site can follow. 
the third is making sure the content itself is accessible. Uh, and a very classic example to that is if you visit any e-commerce site today uh, and if you go through a product listing page where you know you have uh, infinite scroll of different products following one after the other and the button is commonly read as add to cart right now if you are a visually challenged user or somebody who is uh, you know suffering from blurred vision and are use and you are actually using a screen reader to you know access the site all you will hear is add to cart, add to cart, add to cart without making any logical sense of what are you trying to add to the cart. So that's where, you know, making sure that the right content is also available uh, makes it equally important for your site to be accessible. So while there are guidelines, uh, it is also broken down into how do you, uh, you know, equally segregate the problem statement into design code and content and approach the right way to hit all the guidelines. Uh, so, you know, guidelines are a good reference point, but you need to make sure that you are creating something which is more usable and comprehensible uh, and guidelines are more like a reference check for you. Exactly. And in fact, Salish, as a non-disabled person myself, oftentimes I've felt frustrated with the tap sequencing that people have around or even small things as uh, if I have a checkbox. Clicking anywhere right. on the checkbox should check it, but Absolutely. it's so frustrating when you have to find that small little square and yeah. exactly click on that to get your work done. And uh, when you took the example of an e-commerce site, when you're tabbing through the list and all it cares about is going to the buttons by skipping yeah. all the other major portion. And as a as a person who prefers to use a keyboard rather than a mouse, that that feels very frustrating and that feels like this website doesn't seem to be very professional so that professional sure. polish seems to be out so uh, I, I suppose that's what you are trying to convey that uh, not only uh, making a website makes it usable for a pe person with disability but also for people who are not disabled but want another way to browse your website or a more so convenient way yeah, in fact, one of the examples that I have, uh, you know, recently come across is uh, the most commonly used uh, component that we design on most sites is a carousal, right? Uh, so in my recent implementation, there was a need to have uh, infinite scroll carousal. Uh, and soon enough, you know, my first reaction or every time I develop something, I tested using only keyboard and I realized with infinite scroll, I was trapped inside the carousal. There was no way for me to come out of the carousal because it keeps scrolling, right? Uh, and that's when I realized that, you know, infinite scroll or infinite carousals are probably not the best thing for any person to implement. You know, there has to be a logical way of a standard user to come out of any component. And those small things are what really matter at the end. You know, your design could be as fancy as possible. If it's not usable, you know, is it's as good as not having a site then. Exactly. And that's funny. We have been in that situation, Sadesh, just yeah. so you know, and we yeah. were able to figure out a way out of it, but I can totally understand. Right. Okay. So, Sadesh, uh, most development teams today use some kind of a framework or library to build interfaces. Mm -hmm. React, Angular, and Vue are some of the most popular ones. Do these right. frameworks come with some form of support for web accessibility baked in? Or do we have to do everything from scratch? Everything is custom. How does it work? Uh, no, so honestly, all frameworks today, uh, you know, keep accessibility in mind. 
right um and honestly to think of it if we take a step back uh, see frameworks are there to you know help you accentuate your developer experience or you know fast track what you're trying to do in a way right uh, no matter what you use be it react be it angular vue swelt or any framework what gets rendered on the browser is eventually html right uh, you know it does not matter what complex framework you use your browser will still look at html as html and css as css right uh, so there are going to be some obstacles that you would run into uh, but if you look at the view source you exactly know what's being rendered and it's very easy to figure a way out the moment you understand what are you trying to develop right uh, but most frameworks today you know be it react angular view the top 3 that we generally talk about they have a very specific segment on accessibility in their documentation uh, and they do take care of it uh, it is kind of um, every every uh, framework or every organization who's into web development is taking baby steps into making sure accessibility is as inclusive in development as possible uh, it's just that the developers need to be equally aware so yeah short answer yes there is support right and i specifically remember that react have mentioned in their documentation how to uh, think about accessibility and the tools that react comes with by right. default to support that uh, unfortunately it's mentioned under the advanced guides section i would rather have it in the main concepts section yeah uh, yeah right completely so, agree yep so I think uh, even the developers have a long way to go uh, in their mindset shift toward a more accessible world. But at least uh, the good news is that all the popular frameworks do support accessibility and are pretty much accessible by default themselves because they, they come from those big organizations that have been developing such interfaces since a very long time. Time for a quick snap, a small segment where a fellow XTN shares a pro tip, trivia, or a community update. Today's snip is brought to you by Saurabh Sony. Hey everyone, this is Saurabh. Uh, thanks for having me. And I work on the groceries website. My, my work is mostly around uh, de delivering high performance components or high performance features. So on that note, I will also talk about uh, a newer standard or a newer feature not so new, but it's still new in the community in terms of its adoption. So the feature is uh, called ECMAScript modules or nothing but ES6 or JavaScript modules. This standard was introduced a couple of years back and then people have started adopting it. I mean, the different libraries or different environments have started adopting it so that it's widely supported in all modern browsers now. Also Node.js recently released Node.js version 14, which is like the stable version. And it also supports ECMAScript modules natively. So just to give a, a background, you may have heard of uh, different bundling systems or different kinds of bundles or modules we have in JavaScript. So in the older days, we used to have immediately executing functions, require JS, AMD, UMD, and all sorts of things on browsers. Node.js came up with the concept of common JS bundles, which was another confusing thing for all the developers. Thankfully, we have a common standard which is called ECMAScript modules now. And this is very similar to what we have in other scripting languages like Python. And it, it does make sense in terms of adopting it globally and everyone being on the same, same platform or same page. This also advantages in terms of implementing dynamic modules or dynamic imports or lazy loading on your website. When we, when we use ECMAScript modules, you don't have to care about loading the files. 
every hard work or every heavy lifting of the work is done by the browser. There is also a pro tip here. So if you are using HTTP 2 or HTTP 3, you could also get rid of the bundler totally because in HTTP 2, you avoid down trips to the server and it's fine if you load around 50 files, 50 JavaScript files on your browser in the same connection. So that way you don't have to worry about the bundling and your development and production environments. Both will be similar and there will be a faster development cycles for your project. Implementing web accessibility requires the developers to have a deep empathy for persons with disabilities, which at times requires the developers to browse their own website, just as the PWD would. This may be challenging, especially when you do not have a specially able person on your team. Salesh, are there any tools that can help test and validate a team's accessibility implementation? Also, is there a way to automate such testing? Uh, well, yeah, that's that's actually a very interesting bit, uh, you know, and a and a pretty vast topic on its own, uh, which talks about accessibility testing, right? Uh, and we generally come across uh, organizations that kind of uh, you know reach out to us saying, you know, can you do an accessibility audit for us and endorse our accessibility, our web application for accessibility compliance. Right uh, now, when you look at tools, uh, there are tools which are available, uh, but they generally check for code compliance. And like I said in my earlier answer, right, if you look at three distinct segments, design, code and content, uh, there is ways to probably test uh, the design part of it. Uh, you know, tools like Wave and A-Checker kind of give you a color contrast test mechanism. So you can look for, you know, those kind of compliance uh, for sure. Uh, but when it comes to having the right uh, design system, so to say, where, say, for example, you want to have a green color for all your positive call to actions, a gray color for all your negative call to actions. And when I say positive is, you know, things like add to cart, submit, your negative would be delete, remove all those negative actions. You would want to have a similar color theme for both these. Uh, those kind of checks are not possible to automate. Right uh, now. There are specific organizations that you can reach out to that kind of specialize in these kind of testing. Uh, you know, organizations like Level Access or Equal Web uh, specialize in doing these accessibility testing. Uh, but from a unit testing standpoint, what I typically do is make sure that you know the basic checks. Whatever I develop, I try accessing it only using keyboard or I enable uh, you know, a voice or Siri and figure out if I can still access all the elements and still navigate my way around. Those are the manual testing that are the only way to validate that your content or anything that you build is accessible throughout or not. Uh, one of the things I do as a ritual uh, is follow a no mouse Thursday. Uh, so on all Thursdays, I try and make an effort that I only use the keyboard for whatever I access or whatever meetings or whatever calls I do. I only use the keyboard for all my navigations and access uh, that kind of also builds in that empathy and also helps me build a little bit of expertise. How do I navigate around certain elements? That's something that I believe all web developers should do. Uh, it not only helps you comprehend what a you know, a visually challenged or a physically challenged user would go through if there is no pointing device, for example. Right? Uh, it makes you design and think accessibility first when you're doing development as well. 
uh, I guess those are the you know things I try and do, and it's helped me a long way to make sure that whenever I start development, I have accessibility first in my mind, and that is something I always test. And I guess that's pretty much the only way of doing it. Uh, there is automation, but only limited. So that's okay. that's where it is right now. Yeah, and I can imagine uh, doing the no mouse Thursday myself. I would falter completely. Like I would terrible. I would be terrible at it on the first yeah. two or three attempts. But I think that's that's the whole point of doing that. You know, be, yeah. be terrible at it. Uh, be you know, uh, be in the know how bad application uh, you have developed and how long you have to go in order to appeal to all the people that should be able to use it. So exactly. that that's a great point. Yeah. I think that's a great exercise, uh, Selesh. And you should you know talk about uh, such things more often. Uh, this is a fun exercise as well as uh, this is something that uh, you know we we talk we talk about a lot of theory about uh, these concepts, but a lot of times we do not end up applying them. Uh, right. Like every good filmmaker does not watch his own his or own uh, her own film after they have recorded it um i think uh, in case of web development or even general software development it, it does make sense to use your own software so that you know the pain points of the users the probably thousands or hundreds of thousands of users you are going to deal with anyway. that's so true and in fact that also helps you uh, kind of understand a few concepts around accessibility tags itself that you know when you're trying to access a site and uh, again, probably going back to our example of e-commerce, when you do get to the add to cart button and if the add to cart button actually reads out the title of the product that you're trying to add uh, as part of its accessibility implementation, uh, you know, it helps you go and see what the developer has done there to kind of make this so smooth for the end user. Uh, and that's a learning curve, right? Not just to understand how it's implemented, but what does that implement help the end user with? Uh, and that's where empathy comes in. Uh, you know, small example again, when, you know, back in the days where we were still learning accessibility, every time we built a navigation, uh, we saw as an industry practice to add a skip navigation. Uh, we knew that, okay, you know, you can skip to the title or the main content, but why, you know, what, what are you trying to eliminate? Uh, it's only when I started using screen readers, I realized that, you know, every time a page refreshed, I had to go through 50 links to get to the title of the page. And that's why it's important for you to have a skip navigation. So, you know, those small things where you understand things a lot more and hence you start doing it uh, goes a long way in, you know, making sure that you are your head is in the right space. When you're starting development, you do your best practices right away. And it's not an afterthought. Most certainly. Absolutely. Antilish, you mentioned about a couple of tools that, uh, for example, you would use for code conformance, and then you also mm -hmm. talked about uh, voice readers. Right. Uh, can you read that a bit? Uh, can you give a few more examples? And finally, you also talked about uh, automation being there, but it being limited. Can you also name a couple of automation tools? Right. So uh, for development, uh, you know, as part of your build setup, uh, there is Pali, which is uh, most commonly used. Then from a framework standpoint, there is React Axe that you can use that kind of helps you with uh, accessibility checks. Again, from a code conformance standpoint, uh, then there is a, a checker and a wave toolbar, which kind of helps you. You know, you can do paste your a rendered view source into that and it will give you the kind of compliance issues uh, around single A, double A, and it gives you that categorization of where is it faltering. Uh, 
similarly, from a screen reader standpoint, uh, the most commonly used is JAWS and NVDA. Uh, those are again very widely used and uh, more from a Windows standpoint, that JAWS is kind of the default that most uh, you know people who use screen readers kind of uh, tend to use. So. Those, those are the ones that we try and make sure that is implemented. Again, Pali and React Acts uh, go a long way in making sure that you are, you know, you're making sure that the compliance checklist is tick marked while you're doing development itself. Uh, you know, so those basic checks are in place right from the beginning. Right. And if I'm not wrong, Lighthouse also bundles some accessibility checks by default that uh, That's provides right. some, sorry, some basic insight about what is the level of confirmation? Yeah, but Lighthouse again, uh, the way I look at Lighthouse is it's uh, more like checking after the development has been done. Uh, you know, it tells you the scores, it tells you what are the best practices, or it tells you, even gives you recommendations on what can be it done uh, to improve the accessibility score. So it's a good audit tool the way I look at it. Uh, you know, it gives you all the misses that you have. Uh, when I think of, uh, you know, accessibility and, you know, what I've been trying to emphasize uh, in the recent past uh, few months is making sure you do it right the first time and not even get into you know, fixing after you've seen your Lighthouse reports, although that is definitely one of the tools that pretty much everyone uses now. And I think uh, if I'm not wrong, Salish, uh, at Sapien, we have our own uh, experts, SMEs. Uh, do you, could you talk about that also? Yeah, sure. So uh, we have a couple of, uh, you know, SMEs. One is Dinesh Kaushal, who is, uh, you know, a visually challenged uh, developer himself. Uh, he helps us out in a lot of these audits uh, by making sure that he is, you know, accessing and testing these web applications for us. Uh, we also have Alison Walden, uh, who's done a lot of work on in the accessibility field. Uh, we have a couple of others. Uh, you know, I'll probably share the names. You know, when we, uh, you know, publish this podcast, we'll probably give it in the write-up. And those guys have posted a lot of blogs as well. Uh, around how do you use CSS for doing a lot of work so that you know your work is uh, easily accessible uh, and you know we don't move around a lot uh, when it comes to grouping of certain components. Uh, so yeah, we we do have. Uh, in fact, uh, in the recent past, we ran a accessibility hackathon uh, and we had you know most of these people who were mentors for the other teams. Uh, so. As an organization, I think, uh, you know, apart from having experts, we are also taking accessibility pretty seriously, which is so heartening to see. A few months ago, you mentioned that you were writing a book on this topic. Mm -hmm. The outline that you shared with me looked pretty compelling, especially the parts on accessibility testing. Could you tell us more about your book and when it is expected to come out? Yeah, sure. Uh, so kind of, uh, you know, I've taken a step back on uh, writing of the book uh, because I've, uh, like I said, you know, I've been a part of a few accessibility audits in the recent past. Uh, and I realized that, uh, you know, when we start talking about accessibility, a lot of these people talk about guidelines. They keep take a reference to WCAG, but what they miss out on is the practical experience of how to think accessibility and how to design for accessibility. Uh, so what I have done is I have taken to blogging a lot more now. Uh, the idea being that I share these blogs into specific topics, do a deep dive and share those blogs with people and eventually you know, bring all these blogs together and publish an ebook uh, so that it's easy, it's readily accessible for everyone. Uh, and it solves my purpose of making sure that I'm spreading awareness on accessibility. 
that's heartening to hear salish and uh, i cannot wait to get my hands on those uh, set of articles sure. and uh, i can see that uh, there's one out already and we'll include yeah. a link in our show notes so that uh, people can have a glimpse at how to really think about accessibility from a very practical standpoint really love that Super. thank you so much salish for sharing your invaluable insights on much ignored but highly important topic i'm sure our listeners will cherish this knowledge and i hope they will apply the learnings in their next project we are now at the end of the show and it is time for side bites salish are you ready with your picks yep i am let's go so, ahead so cool so uh you know we we have this uh, you know very strong well knit community that you are aware of uh, anurag uh, and one of the managers uh, actually recommended me a book called as uh, measure that matters it's about john deere uh, fundamentally talking about okrs um, what was really really interesting uh, in this book is you know while we look at okrs at a organizational level it also talks about how you can implement it at a individual level uh, for anything and everything that you would want to achieve it breaks down your problem statement into the what why and how uh, and that's really helped me a long way into making sure you know every time i think of doing something i am able to clearly plot a plan identify what is it that i want to achieve and actually get to doing it uh so it's like uh, making sure that there is a plan for your new year resolution in a way so you know kind of works well and i've really taken to this book i'm still halfway through uh but i've liked the gist of it and i like the way it's been structured uh already brought it to practice so you know it seems to be working well that's something that you know i would want to share with people who you know i think will largely benefit from this that sounds cool and in fact uh, i remember there's one very similar book it's called mm-hmm. 4dx that's the colloquial name uh, mm-hmm. the full name is the four disciplines of execution and it you know the complete book talks about how to master the execution we all know how to plan well we all have great ideas but when it right. comes to execution the thought process has to be very focused and very methodical and if you are methodical in your approach then the results are as scientific as your approach so that's a, another good book that uh, you know i would recommend someone gave it to me at a conference so i thought uh, that it sounded similar uh, nice. do we have any other pick yeah i actually read through uh, another one which was part of our offsite exercise uh, you know how do you get to work in an environment where you have a huge community uh, and brings about people with different experiences different thought processes uh, it's called five dysfunctions of a team uh, it's by patrick uh, lencioni uh, it talks about you know the different attributes that different people bring to the table and uh, how do you make sure that you leverage the strength of everyone uh, make sure everybody is honest to their goals and uh, you know get to the final outcome together uh it's a very interesting take on uh, making sure how do you work as a great team lead and also as a great team member uh you know highly recommended again uh i've gone through it in the last quarter or so and i already see a different difference in the way i think about teams and a difference in the way i approach different meetings now so again that's that's something i would recommend that sounds really nice 
if you uh, if you don't have any other picks i can go on with mine yes yes please do and since we are talking about books i have a pick to make of my own and it's a book it's called the innovators by walter isaacson who's the same guy who has written the book on steve jobs which got made into a movie uh, three or four years back right uh, the innovators is interesting in a way uh, that it emphasizes that innovation cannot happen in isolation for every major innovation there has to be a team behind it and uh, the interesting part is that uh, since walter isaacson writes a lot about technology so this whole book is about the history of computers and he starts from charles babbage and ada lovelace mm-hmm. and talks about their chemistry you know charles babbage could not have been the guy or could not have been known today uh, if it weren't for the key contributions of ada in his key paper that was published in a journal that made the analytical engine uh, or you know the precursor to that the difference engine very popular and uh, it it goes from there uh, to the uh, early 1900s talks about the development of silicon you know how transistor was invented and you know goes on to the uh, modern era where uh, you know the people that we are surrounded with we all know about bill gates and steve jobs those are the mm-hmm. guys that uh, this person talks about but at every step he emphasizes how Uh, a team was almost necessary for something revolutionary to happen and he also talks about bad examples where a person had thought of a brilliant idea you know someone had thought of building a computer way before uh, eniac was built and that person did it alone completely alone and he failed his computer was relegated in the basement of his uh, university because he did not have a capable team and the wow. people with an inferior idea were able to build a better computer because they were they had the able team so it's a fantastic book and uh, the little surprise that i was talking about i'm planning to start a series of micro blog posts on history of computers and i'm going to nice. pick a lot of references from this book because they are really worth sharing some eye openers so people we thought about we idealized there's a different reality to them and that's the most interesting bit so i'll i'll that's keep it super I'll keep it under packs for now and I'll be back with more information very very soon and uh, the second pick that I wanted to talk about is uh, another podcast uh, that I you know listen a lot uh, it's called Syntax uh, Syntax mm-hmm. is uh, focuses on web development and uh, you know there are uh, it's run by two people and uh, they run it as a panel and they keep on inviting guests so one of them is pretty popular at, i think both of them are pretty popular but one is very popular at sapient as well so west boss uh, oh, yeah. whose okay. courses we recommend right, right. and uh, the other one is scott tolinski who also has a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, content uh, the course fair around and they talk about uh, javascript and css and hardcore stuff uh performance and accessibility and a range of topics uh in a very fun and interactive way it's it's really a treat to listen to that podcast every time the episode comes out so it's highly recommended and i would recommend it to all the listeners listening to this show because it will fit in very very well 
so uh, yep those yeah. were my two picks yep already bookmark syntax now so that's definitely on my list now great uh i guess it's all wraps now thank you so much okay. salesh for coming aboard and sharing your experience sure thank you anurag it's been fun great interacting thank you thank you and catch you guys in the next one bye bye